Hey, everybody, we are here to tell you about a cool new feature on the website that we would love for you to check out. Head to howtosplitatoaster.com and check out the bottom of the page. You'll find a box floating there that says, quote, ask Seth and Pete, close quote. This box is magical. You just type a question in there and the robots behind the scenes will search the actual audio of our entire library of past episodes and not only give you a short answer to your question, but point you to the specific episodes where we discussed your topic so you can listen yourself. At this point, we're just testing it. To know if this feature should be a permanent feature on the website, we need your help. For that, we need you to ask a lot of questions. So head to howtosplitatoaster.com and click the box, Ask Seth and Pete. The robots will do the rest. On with the show. Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. If you're divorcing your toaster, you have to ask, is it your toaster or are you just an a-hole? Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Seth Nelson. As always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. Today, we're taking a closer look at one of the key factors to play into the divorce scenario. One of the partners is an a-hole. Brian Ronalds is back, author behind How Not to Be an A-Hole series. He's back to share what it takes to look at yourself in figuring out what part of your issues in the marriage, the divorce, or post-divorce are a bad fit, and what parts are you being an A-Hole. Brian, welcome back to the toaster. I am more than happy to be back. Thanks for having me. Brian, We last time you were here, it's great to see you, by the way. Last time you were here, you had a, a book. Now, like, I feel like it's been a while, but now you've got like six. What happened? Have you been, have you been doing anything else? I have. Um, I actually directed two movies in between all these, but, uh, it's just, uh, you know, self help therapy for, uh, myself to, to, to <laughs> be sane. Um, but also, uh, to help others, uh, not to fall into some of the traps that people fall in, um, when we're talking about a specific book husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend. Yeah, right. The last time you were here, it was how not to be an a-hole husband and lose your wife. And you were talking about your own experience going through there. And now just to that, we have the greater a-hole expanded literary universe. We've got how not to be an a-hole wife and lose your husband, how not to be an a-hole boss and lose your employees. We've got a-hole boyfriend and girlfriend and uh, how not to be an a-hole employee and lose your job. I'm really curious to get us started how you uh, how you have your sort of inner exploration of of for lack of a better word responsibility in a relationship uh has has expanded your worldview uh just in how you inter- interact with the people in your lives to allow you to write these books for the, the, those who didn't turn into the first ones first shame on you um but uh, second <laughs> Um, we always like to ridicule our listeners. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, start, start with a real oh, shame yeah. premise. How, maybe the next book, Pete, is How Not to Be an A-Hole Guest. A-Hole Guest. <laughs> A-Hole Host and Lose Your Guest. A-Hole Guest to Lose. That's perfect. Perfect. No, gosh. Um, if you can't take that uh, hilariousness, then you probably should read my books. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it all started. I, look, I was married for 17 years. I went through a crappy divorce. I learned a lot of things along the way, which I wanted to help and wrote how not to be an ale husband and lose your wife, a ridiculously 30 day guide 
and it did really well. But uh, I was getting some comments and some reviews as far as like, well, where's the wife version? After that first year, I wrote that one. Um, so now the wife can come home with her book and his book and say, look, honey, I, look what I got for us to read together. And and that's that's basically how it got started. And then, and then once I started seeing the reactions, then I just spitballed writing like how not to be this or that and loser this or that. Um, so I thought the next natural natural thing to do is you know how not to be an a-hole girlfriend and lose your boyfriend a ridiculously easy 30-day guide well and that's that's really i I think where i i'm most uh, sort of interested because i think these like the first book is so full of like taking responsibility for your own actions right like you're if you're being an a-hole it's because you have forgot you've lost some sense of perspective on how your reactions and your actions and reactions interact with other people how your behavior impacts other people and to take ownership of that and and try to see things through a different lens and i totally get um how uh the the wife can be a pivot on that uh, i'm curious like your experience writing these other books like it feels like once you understand how not to be an a-hole husband it might be easier not to be an a-hole anything is that your experience yeah i mean if you're willing to look into yourself um it's pretty common knowledge um and i would say psychologically speaking a lot of the times we project our own inner insecurities onto others and you're not aware of it and this is just reminders that bringing awareness of how to be a good person um, and and yes, you can apply all, um, some of some of the stuff from from the husband and wife books. But my goal is to have for every book that I write, there's got to be two to offset the other one. Um, so that's why I wrote how not or, or I'm in I'm writing how not to be an a hole employee and lose your job to pair with how not to be an a hole boss uh, and lose your employees, which I think one of my favorite books I've written so far. I was just reading it last night, actually. I think there's just so much good material in there but to pete's point i think all of these things really do overlap because at its core you're evaluating yourself and in essence taking responsibility for the relationship now there's got to be there's two in all of these relationships right boyfriend girlfriend husband wife employee employer but in essence it's all about what are you doing and how do you arrive every day like one of them is if you can't say hello in a good, you know, in a, in the morning, in a happy way, that's on you, right? Like kind of, kind of what's going on here. Like you're just walking in the door. Um, so I think those types of overarching themes really play into what our listeners are going through and what they've been through, going through, are still going through before, during, and after divorce and new relationships. Are you going to bring your former spouse Invite them, and I'm saying in quotes, into the dinner that you're having when you're dating by bringing them up. <laughs> like you're just looking backwards, <laughs> not forward. So I remarried. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, or if I had. Yeah, yeah. I think I was just getting ready to yeah, get married. It was just um, fresh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was right before COVID. Like you, like you said, you know, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, bringing bring some of this up can, can be a touchy subject because, yeah, not that I want to invite my ex-wife. I'm I how let's let's talk a little bit about that relationship though because I think that's a that's a relationship that a lot of people struggle with is figuring out how to navigate the waters of not being an a-hole, you know, divorcee, right? The the book you haven't written. Um what have you learned about yourself in in navigating that particular relationship? I think the first thing that comes to my mind is um don't text them back right away. 
gentlemen there are, are asking something. And I know you can't hear a tone or inflection through texts or emails, um, but for some reason I can hear her tone and reflection and, and how uh, she's handling the situation. And it's tough uh, because you're a business after you get a divorce, especially if you have children. I mean, if you get a divorce, you don't have any children, you don't ever talk to each other again. But if you have children, um, and there's a business. And if a president of the company has a partner in, in a business and they don't see it eye to eye, that company is just going to, it's, it's, it's going to go away. My yeses mean yes. And my noes mean no when it comes to my children or anything that I do in life. Um, and that's opposite on, on that other side of the fence. It makes it hard for the, for, for children to understand because they go from one house to the other and this person lets them do everything. And it's an age old problem, right? I mean, it's not, I'm not the first guy. This is nothing new. Yeah. This is nothing new. (laughs) And you're describing things that don't have to be necessarily conflict. It could be, well, at mom's, I get to stay up till 10, but dad, why do I have to go to bed at nine 30? Right. It's not inherent whether a child should go to bed at nine 30, 10 or nine 45. It's, a difference of opinion, neither right nor wrong. They're just different. But that child has to adjust to that. And inevitably, they only ask the question why at the person's house where they want more leniency. They're never going to go to you and say, Dad, at mom's, I go to bed at 9.30. Here I go to bed at 10. Why can't I go to bed at 9.30 here? That's never coming out of a child's mouth, right? Dad, why aren't you harder on me right now? <laughs> yeah, no, I'll give you an example, um, which I'm very surprised about. I have a 16-year-old son, uh, a, a 20-year-old son, a 16-year-old son, and then I have a 17-year-old bonus son for my, my wife, Michelle. Um, and he wanted to have his girlfriend over last night, and it was her sixth, sweet 16th birthday. And um, I said, okay, but... Then we agree on a few things and we, we made an agreement and we planned and everything. So then when, come party time in the backyard, they all behave themselves, but then he's asking questions that he already knows the answer to and that he wants to be mad at me. Um, and he should be at a point already, at least in my house, um, to know that my yes has been yes and my no means no. Um, it can be very confusing for them and, and frustrating for both parents on, on our, uh, either side of the spectrum. It's a brilliant example because you even set it all up beforehand. Like, hey, you want to do this? Here's the rules. Are we agreeing on the rules? Repeat them back. Make sure I understand what you're saying. You repeat them back to me. I You understand what I'm saying. And then halfway through, he wants to change the deal. Exactly. Well, it, it's funny. It's It gets to like, I, that's actually not where I thought you were going to go because I, you know, I felt like my own kids would do the, uh, a similar thing, but they would do it like they'd already know the answer is yes or no. But then they would ask the question again in front of their boyfriend or girlfriend. Right. And, and that, uh, that subtle way of like social manipulation. I feel like the book I need is how not to be an a-hole parent and lose your kids. Right. Like that's the, the sort of rationale behind or, or the, the sort of, um, angle that feels like how to set that standard for yeses and nos, even though teenage kids are going to do that social manipulation, like it or not. Like it's, it's going to happen. They might not even know they do it. Pete, I got to pause here just for a minute because people can't see Brian. He's just jotted down like 15 of the 30 days on <laughs> how not to be an asshole parent and lose your kid. And also how not to be an asshole kid and lose your parents. Yeah. And that should be how not to be an asshole kid and lose your free ride to college. Yeah. Right. So, you know, right? <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, I definitely take everything that I hear and I, and, and I say and act and interact um, and take note. Yeah, but I think to your point about that co-parenting, it is hard for the kids and for the parents when there's different rules. And, I'm, and this is the suggestion I give to everybody is kids get told no all the time. So one of my rules of being a parent was say yes as often as I could. If I can say yes, then say yes. Um, now, I'm not saying that doesn't come with grounds or boundaries that you can discuss. And then what I would also try to do, if I felt it was something that mm, I feel like I could say yes to this, I don't know if my former spouse would, I would give the conditional yes, like, hey, I need to talk to your mom about this. Theoretically, I'm not opposed, but there could be some nuance there. The practicalities might not work. Let me talk to mom, make sure we're on the same page. And when you do that with kids, First off, they're amazed and can't believe that the parents actually talk. Now, it might be a text, it might be this, it might be that, but I think that's the gold standard in being able to do that because your kids then know like, uh-oh, they're actually talking. So maybe I can't get away with as much as I thought I could because they will play you against each other like no one's business. Yeah, but what do you do? Like in this case, like where Brian was talking about the where the you know, his former spouse is diametrically opposed to like, it's just opposites. The answers are opposites to, to what you like from a, from your attorney's perspective, uh, you're running a business with a, a co-parent who is a, uh, essentially a frustrating non-participant. The easy answer is you have to go by whatever the final judgment, the divorce decree, the parenting plan says. It will be void of 90% of these questions. It's not going to talk about whether or not you can have a girlfriend spend the night at 16, okay, in the same room, not in the same room, on the couch, whatever the case may be. It's not going to talk about sleepovers. It's not going to talk about whether the kid can go on a weekend trip with friends when it's beach week for their seniors, right? So those are decisions that when the child's with you, you get to make. Now, is it better to say, hey, I don't have to talk to you about this under the plan. I can do whatever I want. Usually not the best way to start a conversation, but in essence, you could say something to the effect, but a little nicer. But I wanted to get your input. It's true. Very true. Receiving each other's input on a business level will make everybody's lives a lot easier and less confusing. But, uh, you know, as a parent, the last thing you want to do to see your children hurt when you're the main cause of their hurt, then there some parents form guilt. Say a lot of them do. They handle it different ways. Um, the way I handled it is I wanted to be the rock in their life um, by providing them a home, uh, the same schools, um, food, um, fun. That was what I did consistently. And I find that there are people on the other side of the spectrum will be, for lack of a better term, the Disneyland mom or dad, um, where it's just fucking fun, fun, fun all the time. And it's, no, come on, mom. Okay. Look, if you're, if you're going through a divorce and you are struggling with some of these things, I think therapy play, plays well if you're willing to go. And that's what these books have done for me. Not only that, you know, therapy has done, done wonders, um, helping you look at, at, into, uh, oneself. But, uh, consistency 
is key. And if you can't do that, it's going to be chaos. Well, how does that, how do you handle that? Because it feels like you, of all people, have likely run into a situation where y- you still look at your former spouse and you think, well, they're being an a-hole. Here we are, they're an a-hole. And I can either take the high road and I can do my best to communicate and know that I'm doing my level best, or I can, I can go down to their level and just be an a-hole too. Do you ever find yourself fighting that natural instinct to, to just get dirty? Uh, and how do you navigate through that? Well, I found it's, I found it's lazy to get dirty and, it, and it's hard to go, go above and beyond, um, what she would ex- or he or she would expect of you. That's not what happens. It's how you react and respond to what happens, which I'm sure you guys have heard a thousand times. Um, and, and that's something that I've learned that, um, instead of just firing off a text, which I recommend if you're going to have a conversation with your ex, don't let it be on text. Just pick up the phone. I know neither one of you want to hear each other's voices um, or, or, or even talk, but it, it's a must, especially if you have uh, kids. And on that point, when when I've dealt with that, Brian, people are like, well, how do I even start that? And I say, you start it with a text like, hey, I think you know this is an important topic that I'm finding difficult to communicate through a text. Would you have some time to chat about it? What works for you, right? You start with your weakness, which I think is powerful. Hey, I think this is an important topic that I'm having trouble communicating with over text. You're trying to work out the problem. You're not trying to be an asshole, right? And you can take that to like what you said, Brian. Like, I know tone and context can is difficult in text, you know, but however granular you want to get, I think broad brushstrokes are a little bit better, Um in communication when you're trying to then have the granular conversation later, but you start with that and you, you give a request. Can we talk what works for you? There's, there's almost nothing negative in that that can be taken negative from the reader right now. You guys have a long history. Oh, she just wants to get on the phone with me. Oh, he just wants to get on the phone with me. Okay. He's going to start with this about the kids and he's going to then talk about like, how I don't deserve the alimony. I'm going to go down that road. So if you send the invite or you respond to it, you could say, yes, I would love to talk to you or, or yes, I'm, yes, I can talk to you. Let's please only talk about this issue. And then there's another request. So look, man, when they have summits between superpowers, everybody knows the agenda on what they're going to talk about before you get there. And I think that's how you have to do it because you guys are the two superpowers in your kid's life. And if you're going to nuke each other, it's not going to help your kid. Not at all. And I've, I've tried it both ways. And I would say the kinder, the kinder way is the better way to go. Um, taking the higher road, keeping the business. According to the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, about 10% of children live with a parent with an alcohol use disorder. Seth, that rubs you the wrong way. I know it. Every week, Pete, it rubs me the wrong way. It's always an alarming statistic to me, even though I hear it all the time. So what can we do about it? If we can't change people, they can only change if they choose to change themselves. What can we, what can the court system, what can Soberlink do for you in your divorce case? That is exactly what we want to try and do and what we're doing with our partner, Soberlink. Soberlink, what is it, Soberlink? Soberlink is like a a breathalyzer. You've seen the breathalyzer, you've watched TV. This one's a little bit different, though. It has facial recognition camera built right into it so that you can hold it up to your face, 
You blow into it, it knows it's you, and in real time, it sends the data back to the people who need to know whether you are safe to drive. Now, Seth, who needs to know whether you're safe to drive? Why do we care? It's simple. You're being accused of being an alcoholic. You're being accused of being a drunk. All these negative terms are going to come flying at you. And you're going to say, I don't need to prove anything. Well, ultimately, you don't have to prove anything to your spouse. You have to show the court, the judge who's making the decision on whether you get to see your child or not, whether or not you suffer from alcoholism. And if you do, whether you can hold it together long enough to spend quality time with your kids, not drive with them, not be intoxicated when you're with them. This eliminates the potential weaponization of alcoholism. It eliminates the he said, she said, because all you do is you blow into the Soberlink device when you have your kids. If you're picking them up, just had them, why you have them, and it shows you haven't been drinking, and it will eliminate with third-party, real-time, independent verification that you're sober and you're spending quality time with your kids. It's going to save you a lot of money in attorney's fees because you're not going to have to go to court and argue about it. There you go. Seth uses it at the firm with his clients. Courts love it because the system keeps the focus on what is best in the best interests of the child. And you're going to love it. All you need to do to get started and receive 50 bucks off of your device when you do get started is visit Soberlink.com slash toaster. That's Soberlink.com slash toaster. Thank you to Soberlink for sponsoring this show. And you mentioned something earlier. You said don't respond right away. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? How long should you wait? What should you do in between? If they're blowing up your phone 15 times because you haven't responded. Well, f- well, first, I don't encourage stonewalling uh, your ex-wife when you have children or your ex-husband because um, that's going to lead to greater problems. But what I mean by that is I can't go off of a knee- knee-jerk reaction because I've, again, done it both ways. I've gone off a knee-jerk and I've thought- thoughtfully written what I was going to say back on my email and then copy-paste it into a text so it could be thoughtful, thought out, and um, c- convey a message where you're not being a dick. Yeah, I, I think that's the, um, I, I think that's the really interesting one. But everything that we're talking about here, we recently did an episode on parallel parenting. Uh, you know, this, the whole concept of like, you know, your two parents working in this, in, you know, alongside one another, but you don't, like, you re- aren't talking a whole lot between the two of you. It sort of feels like, I don't know that it, maybe you're uh, either you've either sort of be- become that through through kindness and ineffectual communi- communication or uh, maybe if not even intentionally. So uh, have you explored that sort of in your head, like what what it means to be a parallel parent in this business relationship between the two of you? And does that strike a chord? You know, ask me that question maybe four or five years ago, perhaps. But but now I know how to manage um, a relationship who is my business partner in a calm, cool, and collective way. I'm not perfect. Um, there are still times where uh, I'll accidentally be human, but uh, I'll always wake up the next morning going, "Man, you could have handled that better." Um, and you and you and you know it. So why are you going back to that asshole mode and um, saying things you don't mean and um, in, in a tone that's unacceptable? Yeah. Do you ever apologize when you do that? When you wake up that next morning. And it was really bad. Do you ever send the text saying, hey, I'm sorry? Yes. Yeah, I think that is rare, Pete. So many people don't want to do the wrong thing. And then when they do, they try to cover it up or downplay it instead of just owning it. And I see that all the time 
well, if I say I'm sorry, it means I did something wrong. They're going to use that in court against me. And what I'm saying is the judge is human. The judge has kids. The judge gets in arguments with their spouse. But it's not like these aren't humans we're standing in front of in the courtroom. And they're going to see a parent who apologized. What's wrong with that? That's powerful. Yeah, and beautiful. Especially if you weren't willing to do that before. And now you are. And you've begun slowly to change yourself. You know, I feel like uh, I thought, you know, one day I'll, I'll, I'll learn it all and really change, understand everything. And I, I don't think that process, that changing process is going to end until the, the day I've stopped breathing. Well, speaking of, of uh, growing, learning, changing, you, uh, you're also a writer director and, and you just uh, wrote and directed your first feature, uh, the mass shooting monologues. And I, I'm, I'm interested in your experience. Uh, the credits say, and I, I haven't seen the film, uh, but the credits say it introduces your son. Uh, I'm curious how your relationship with your ch- son has changed. You have two kids. How your relationship with your kids have changed, and now to the point that you're you're working with them. I think it's a constant change, depending on their season of their lives and my season of my life. Right now, he's in the season of life of uh, you know he just moved out. And um, he's he's ready to be on his own. And I'm in the season of my life where I'm like, please don't go. I miss you. I love you so much. Can you call me 40 times a day? Why don't you reply to my text? I sound like my mother. Yeah. Why don't you reply to my text right away? You've been two hours. Is everything okay? Are you all right? Um, so, <laughs> so I would say that that's uh, how it changed. But, you know, the, the mass shooting monologues, um, which I love that title. They changed it because we couldn't sell it. Um, now it's called um, The Last Day of the Rest of My Life. Oh, okay. Um, but it's it's a series of monologues. So I wanted to, to to just be my own boss and not have to worry about anybody else's money, which means you're not going to be able to work with a lot of money if you're going to want to do that. And we did. So I thought, how how could how could we um, you know find a way to make a, a movie on on the more affordable pet end of things? So I, I took um, there's a Broadway play called The Vagina Monologues, which is about a single subject um, talked about in eight different stories. So that's what that's what I did, and I mixed it in with um, pictures and B roll. But the story is basically about uh, a mass shooting at a high school as a result of being bullied, and my son played as the mass shooter. Wow! Yeah, it was tough. Um, I'm a I'm a Columbine High School graduate. I wasn't there when it happened, um, but I've seen a lot of the. I mean, gosh, it seems ages ago right now. Now it's, what, three, four times a freaking week? Right. But I wanted to, I don't want to say that Mass Shooter is an anti-hero, but, you know, just watch the movie and tell me what you think. But I know that's not what we're talking about right now, um, but when you get, when you have an opportunity, check it out. It's um, on Amazon and, um, you know, where you can stream a movie. Well, I sure will. And I think it's a it's a great testament to just the, your, the way you navigated your your post-divorce relationship with your kids that you're now casting your son in, in your projects. That's a big thing. It is, Pete. Brian, to where you are in your seasons of life and your child is, I talk to parents all the time about playing the long game. Because in our lifetimes, if we're fortunate enough, our children's lives zero to 18, is going to be a small segment of their life. We will be parents to our adult children longer than we're parents to our children as children. And if you play the long game, that's what I'm after. 
that's what I want my clients to have in what you do during your divorce and post-divorce and how you co-parent how you treat your children lays the foundation for the rest of their lives. And once you don't have the power of the checkbook and the credit card and the ATM and Zelle and Venmo, <laughs> then you're going to know where your, where your kids go. Yeah, I think as the kids would say, um, after you said a sentence, they would go, facts. When they don't have nothing to say, they, they're like, group. Okay, uh, anything else you want to say? No doubt, facts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. But, uh, you, you know, you, you, what you just said um, obviously takes years of experience. Um, but you carry wisdom and discernment of, of how you uh, conveyed that. And that's, that's how I try to model uh, uh, raising these boys for the long game. Um, I'm sorry that you're mad at me that I'm not taking a year this year. Um, but, uh, you know, we got other things to do. Um, and we're going we're gonna to do it this way. See, I almost said that same thing. I said, do you have any idea how many Europeans come to Tampa, Florida for vacation? <laughs> like, so let's do this. Instead of going to Europe, let's pretend we're Europeans in Tampa. Yeah. Go to a beach and speak with an accent. <laughs> That's right. Don't put on sunscreen and get burnt. You know, yeah. there's a lot That's of fun right. things we can do. You know? Yeah. yeah, just go native. You're fine. Well, I'll tell you, uh, Brian, this is awesome. And congratulations on the, the success of the series, too, that, that it is it continues to blossom in these new ways, new pairs of, of books and observations and lessons learned. I got to say one thing before we close here, Pete, is I got a little nervous because you, I knew Brian was recently married, but you started the show like last time we talked, you had one and now you have six. And I thought, damn, that guy was busy having kids. <laughs> and I was like, so thankful. Brian was like, yeah, I've been writing a lot of books. It's a lot of books. You know? And directing movies. Yeah. <laughs> Couple movies in between. Children. You have to live with it forever. <laughs> <laughs> they don't talk back though, do they? I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, no, just their, re- just their readers. <laughs> <laughs> just their readers. Well, and you could be one of those readers too, just to check out the uh, hownottobeseries.com. That's a handy url how not to be series uh we'll put links in the show notes we'll also uh, drop links into the uh, amazon uh, version of the movie if you want to check out the last day of the rest of my life congratulations brian thanks for hanging out with us today thanks gentlemen and thank you everybody for downloading and listening to this show we sure appreciate your time and attention don't forget if you have a question you can just uh, visit howtosplitatoaster.com uh, and there's a button that says submit a question you submit a question it'll come right to right to me and seth and we'll answer it Seth will answer it. I'll be color commentary, but Seth will answer it. Don't worry. And uh, and we would love to hear your questions. We've got questions that are stacking up. We, we're we're going to be talking about them in coming episodes. Thank you for those submissions. On behalf of Brian Ronalds and Seth Nelson, America's favorite divorce attorney, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next week right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with NLG Divorce and Family Law with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, How to Split a Toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of NLG Divorce and Family Law. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.